chapter six part two of the quintessence of ibsenism by george bernard shaw this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter six down among the dead men the last four plays part two little eyolf eighteen ninety four though the most mischievous ideals are social ideals which have become institutions laws and creeds yet their evil must come to a personal point before they can strike down the individual jones is not struck down by an ideal in the abstract but by smith making monstrous claims or inflicting monstrous injuries on him in the name of an ideal and it is fair to add that the ideals are sometimes beneficent and their repudiation sometimes cruel for ideals are in practice not so much matters of conscience as excuses for doing what we like and thus it happens that of two people worshipping the same ideals one will be a detestable tyrant and the other a kindly and helpful friend of mankind what makes the bad side of idealism so dangerous is that wicked people are allowed to commit crimes in the name of the ideal that would not be tolerated for a moment as open devilment perhaps the worst because the commonest and most intimate cases are to be found in family life even during the reign of terror the chances of any particular frenchman or frenchwoman being guillotined were so small as to be negligible under nero a christian was far safer from being smeared with pitch and set on fire than he was from domestic trouble if the private lives that have been wasted by idealistic persecution could be recorded and set against the public martyrdoms and slaughterings and torturings and imprisonments our millions of private neros and torquemadas and calvins bloody marys and cleopatras and semiramises would eclipse the few who have come to the surface of history by the accident of political or ecclesiastical conspicuousness thus ibsen at the beginning of his greatness showed us brand sacrificing his wife and this was only the first of a series of similar exhibitions ending so far in solness sacrificing his wife and being himself sacrificed to a girl's enthusiasm and he brings solness to the point of rebelling furiously against the tyranny of his wife's ideal of home and declaring that building homes for happy human beings is not worth a rap men are not happy in these homes i should not have been happy in such a home if i had had one it is not surprising to find that little eyolf is about such a home this home clearly cannot be a working-class home and here let it be said that the comparative indifference of the working class to ibsen's plays is neither ibsen's fault nor that of the working class to the man who works for his living in modern society home is not the place where he lives nor his wife the woman he lives with home is the roof under which he sleeps and eats and his wife is the woman who makes his bed cooks his meals and looks after their children when they are neither in school nor in the streets or who at least sees that the servants do these things the man's work keeps him from home from eight to twelve hours a day he is unconscious through sleep for another eight hours then there is the public-house and the club there is eating washing dressing playing with the children or the dog entertaining or visiting friends reading and pursuing hobbies such as gardening and the like obviously the home ideal cannot be tested fully under these conditions 
which enable a married pair to see less and know less of one another than they do of those who work side by side with them it is in the propertied class only that two people can really live together and devote themselves to one another if they want to there are certain businesses which men and women can conduct jointly and certain professions which men can pursue at home and in these the strain of idealism on marriage is more severe than when the two work separately but the full strain comes on with the modern unearned income from investments which does not involve even the management of an estate and it is under this full strain that ibsen tested in little ale shakespeare in a flash of insight which has puzzled many commentators and even set them proposing alterations of a passage which they found unthinkable has described one of his characters as a fellow almost damned in a fair wife there is no difficulty or obscurity about this phrase at all you have only to look round at the men who have ventured to marry very fascinating women to see that most of them are not merely almost damned but wholly damned Almers in little eyolf is a fellow almost damned in a fair wife she rita Almers has brought him gold and green forests a reminiscence from an early play called the feast at solhug and not only troubles and uncenters him as only a woman can trouble and uncenter a man who is susceptible to her bodily attraction but is herself furiously and jealously in love with him in short they form the ideal home of romance and it would be hard to find a compacter or more effective formula for a small private hell the almost damned are commonly saved by the fact that the devotion is usually on one side only and that the lovely lady or gentleman for a woman almost damned in a fair husband is also a common object in domestic civilization if she has only one husband relieves the boredom of his devotion by having fifty courtiers but rita will neither share almers with anyone else nor be shared he must be wholly and exclusively hers and she must be wholly and exclusively his by her golden green forest she snatches him from his work as a schoolmaster and imprisons him in their house where the poor wretch pretends to occupy himself by writing a book on human responsibility and forming the character of their son little ale for your male sultana takes himself very seriously indeed as do most sultanas and others who are so closely shut up with their own vanities and appetites that they think the world a little thing to be moulded and arranged at their silly pleasure like a lump of plasticine rita is jealous of the book and hates it not only because almers occupies himself with it instead of with her but talks about it to his half-sister asta of whom she is of course also jealous she is jealous of little eyolf and hates him too because he comes between her and her prey one day when the baby child is lying on the table they have an amorous fit and forget all about him he falls off the table and is crippled for life he and his crutch become thenceforth a standing reproach to them they hate themselves they hate each other they hate him their atmosphere of ideal conjugal love breeds hate at every turn hatred masquerading as a loving bond that has been drawn closer and sanctified by their common misfortune after ten years of this hideous slavery the man breaks loose actually insists on going for a short trip into the mountains by himself it is true that he reassures rita by coming back before his time 
but her conclusion that this was because he could not abstain from her society is rudely shattered by his conduct on his return she dresses herself beautifully to receive him and makes the seraglio as delightful as possible for their reunion but he purposely arrives tired out and takes refuge in the sleep of exhaustion without a caress as she says quoting a popular poem when reproaching him for this afterwards there stood your champagne and you tasted it not it soon appears that he has come to loathe his champagne and that the escape into the mountains has helped him to loathe his situation to some extent even to discovering the absurdity of his book on human responsibility and the cruelty of his educational experiments on eyolf in future he is going to make eyolf an open-air little boy which of course involves being a good deal in the open air with him and out of the seraglio then the woman's hatred of the child unveils itself and she openly declares what she really feels as to this little creature with its evil eyes that has come between them at this point very opportunely comes the rat wife who like the pied piper clears away rats for a consideration has rita any little gnawing thing she wants to get rid of here it seems is a helper and server for rita the rat wife's method is to bewitch the rats so that when she rows out to sea they follow her and are drowned she describes this with a heart-breaking poetry that frightens rita who makes almers send her away but a helper and server is not so easily exercised rita's little gnawing thing eyolf has come under the spell and when the rat wife rows out to sea he follows her and is drowned the family takes the event in a very proper spirit horror lamentation shrieks and tears and all the customary homages to death and attestations of bereavement are duly and even sincerely gone through for the shock of such an accident makes us all human for a moment but next morning almers finds some difficulty in keeping it up miserable as he is he finds himself forgetting about eyolf for several minutes and thinking about other things even about his breakfast and in his idealistic self-devotion to artificial attitudes he reproaches himself and tries to force himself to keep thinking of eyolf and being overwhelmed with grief about him besides it is an excuse for avoiding his wife the revulsion against his slavery to her has made her presence unbearable to him he can bear nobody but his half-sister asta whose relation to him is a most blessed comfort and relief because their blood kinship excludes from it all the torment and slavery of his relation to rita but this consolation is presently withdrawn for asta has just discovered in some old correspondence convincing proofs that she is not related to him at all and the effect of the discovery has been to remove the inhibition which has hitherto limited her strong affection for him so that she now perceives that she must leave him hitherto she has refused for his sake the offers of borgheim an engineer who wants to marry her but who like rita wants to take her away and make her exclusively his own for he too cannot share with any one and though both olmers and rita implore her to stay dreading now nothing so much as being left alone with one another she knows that she cannot stay innocently and accepts the engineer and vanishes lest a worse thing should befall and now rita has her man all to herself eyolf dead asta gone the book on human responsibility thrown into the waste-paper basket there are no more rivals now no more distractions the field is clear for the ideal union of two souls with but a single thought two hearts that beat as one 
the result may be imagined the situation is insufferable from the beginning almer's attempts to avoid seeing or speaking to rita are of course impracticable equally impracticable are their efforts to behave kindly to one another they are presently at it hammer and tongs each tearing the mask from the other's grief for the child and having it exposed as their remorse hers for having jealously hated eyolf his for having sacrificed him to his passion for rita and to the schoolmasterly vanity and folly which sees in the child nothing more than the vivisector sees in a guinea-pig something to experiment on with a view to rearranging the world to suit his own little ideas if ever two cultivated souls of the propertied middle class were stripped naked and left bankrupt these two are they cannot bear to live and yet they are forced to confess that they dare not kill themselves the solution of their problem as far as it is solved is as coming from ibsen very remarkable it is not as might have been expected after his long propaganda of individualism that they should break up the seraglio and go out into the world until they have learnt to stand alone and through that to accept companionship on honourable conditions only ibsen here explicitly insists for the first time that we are members one of another and that though the strongest man is he who stands alone the man who is standing alone for his own sake solely is literally an idiot it is indeed a staring fact in history and contemporary life that nothing is so gregarious as selfishness and nothing so solitary as the selflessness that loathes the world altruism because to it there are no others it sees and feels in every man's case the image of its own inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren ye have done it unto me is not altruism or othersism it is an explicit repudiation of the patronizing notion that the least of these is another to whom you are invited to be very nice and kind in short it accepts entire identification of me with the least of these the fashionably sentimental version which runs in effect if you subscribe eighteen pence to give this little dear a day in the country i shall regard it as a loan of one and sixpence to myself is really more conceitedly remote from the spirit of the famous christian saying than even the sham political economy that took in mr gradgrind accordingly if you would see industrial sweating at its vilest you must go not to the sempstresses who work for commercial firms but to the victims of pious altruistic ladies work guilds and the like in which ladies with gold and green forests offer to others their blouses to be stitched at prices the most sordid east end slave driver would recoil from offering thus we see that in ibsen's mind as in the actual history of the nineteenth century the way to communism lies through the most resolute and uncompromising individualism james mill with an inhuman conceit and pedantry which leaves the fable of almers and eyolf far behind educated john stuart mill to be the arch individualist of his time with the result that john stuart mill became a socialist quarter of a century before the rest of his set moved in that direction herbert spencer lived to write despairing pamphlets against the socialism of his ablest pupils there is no hope in individualism for egotism when a man is at last brought face to face with himself by a brave individualism he finds himself face to face not with an individual but with a species and knows that to save himself he must save the race he can have no life except a share in the life of the community and if that life is unhappy and squalid 
nothing that he can do to paint and paper and upholster and shut off his little corner of it can really rescue him from it it happens so to that bold individualist mrs rita almers the almers are of course snobs and have always been very determined that the common little children down at the pier should be taught their place as eolf's inferiors they even go to the length of discussing whether these dirty little wretches should not be punished for their cowardice in not rescuing eolf thereby they raise the terrible question whether they themselves who are afraid to commit suicide in their misery would have been any braver there is nobody to comfort them for the income from the gold and green forests by enabling them to cast themselves off from all the industry of the place has led them into something like total isolation they hate their neighbours as themselves they are alone together with nothing to do but wear each other out and drive each other mad to an extent impossible under any other conditions and rita's plight is the more desperate of the two because as she has been the more unscrupulous the more exacting she has left him something to look forward to freedom from her he is bent on that at least he will not live with her on any terms not stay anywhere within reach of her the one thing he craves is that he may never see her or speak to her again that is the end of the two souls with but a single thought etc but to her his release is only a supreme privation the end of everything that gave life any meaning for her she has not even egotism to fall back on at this pass an annoyance of which she has often complained occurs again the children down at the pier make a noise playing and yelling as if eolf had never existed it suddenly occurs to her that these are children too just like little eolf and that they are suffering a good deal from neglect after all they too are little eolfs inasmuch as she can do it unto one of the least of these his brethren she can do it unto him she determines to take the dirty little wretches in hand and look after them it is at all events a more respectable plan than that of the day before which was to throw herself away on the first man she met if almers dared to think of anybody but her and it has the domestic advantage that almers has nothing to fear from a woman who has something else to do than torment him with passions that devour and jealousies that enslave him the world and the home suddenly take on their natural aspect almers offers to stay and help her and so they are delivered from their evil dream and let us hope live happily ever after end of chapter six part two Recording by Expatria in Bangor, Maine.